0: To the 174th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. I hope you are enjoying your summer and that you are getting some much needed rest and play. However, summer can be a challenging time for moms, especially right now. We are far enough into the summer that teens are bored. Teens have less to do, and so they are on all things digital all the time, which means more work for you. And this is why I am sharing one of my top three listen to podcasts today. Okay, I have another great guest today, Alex J. Packer, Ph.D., is an educator, psychologist, and award-winning author of numerous books for parents and teenagers, including How Rude, The Teen Guide to Good Manners, Proper Behavior, and Not Grossing People Out. Alex is sought after by the media for his provocative commentary on manners, child rearing, and substance abuse prevention, and has led workshops and lectured widely across the United States and around the world. He received his PhD in educational and developmental psychology from Boston College and his master's degree in education from Harvard. His newest book is Slaying Digital Dragons, and you can pre-order that book now, and it will be live in October. This book is going to be a great tool for you. How many of you have tried to reason with your teen why they shouldn't be on their screens all the time and they just blow you off? Well, his book is written to teens in their own language, and he finds some interesting angles to get their attention. He talks about the difference between good screen time and bad screen time. Spoiler alert, good screen time has your teen engaged and motivates them to create and be creative. Bad screen time just causes them to vegetate. He discusses the dark side of the digital world and informs them about big tech and how we can be manipulated online and how big tech is literally in our business.
1: So welcome Dr. Alex Packer. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be with you.
0: So I just read your book, Slaying Digital Dragons. So when is that book coming out?
1: It comes out in October, October 19th. Well moms, this is gonna be
0: a really wonderful book that you want to put in the hands of your teens for sure. Alex, you wrote this book for teenagers, speaking directly to them. Why did you feel this was important to do? And what is the key to getting through to
1: young people about this issue? Well, I wrote it because I'm very concerned about the impact of the digital world on teenagers today. And I You know, we we tend to focus on external threats like viruses and cyberbullying and predators and sexting. And those, of course, are critical. And teens need to understand uh, the dangers and risks and how to protect themselves. But I think there are many internal threats to teenagers' lives and emotions and brain and body and psyche and relationships and reputations that we're not addressing as much as we should be. So I wrote the book to empower teenagers to take charge of their digital life. I want to make them more aware of what big tech is doing and how it affects them on a very personal level. And that's tricky territory because for most teens, their phones are their significant other. (laughs) It's practically implanted in their psyche and you have to tread carefully. So I think a starting point for parents would be to realize that these devices are inseparable from their kids' lives. And to teens, online life is real life. We adults tend to think of it as a separation. But for teens, it's merged together. So my approach to them is not to judge, not to preach, don't be moralistic, but to assume that if they have good information, They'll make good decisions. Mm -hmm. And I think teens are primed for that because there are some amazing surveys that have appeared. 40 to 50% of teens say that they feel addicted to their phones. And 90% of teens say that uh, time, too much time online, is a problem their peers. so and, and they also recognize the manipulations of big tech. So I don't think this is going to come as a huge, astonishing surprise to them. But what I try to do is enlist them in joining a resistance, pushing back, fighting back against big tech, and taking proactive steps to protect their healthy development
0: well I think you did a good job it's definitely written to a teen audience it's got a lot of snarkiness that I think that they're gonna appreciate like a almost a dialogue between you and them that's um that's very clever so in part one of your book you talk about reflect and you give the teens nine challenges can you talk about some of those
1: challenges that you give the teens? Yes. Uh, the reflect section of the book asks kids to examine and assess their own screen scene. And these are wacky challenges. They're research based. You know, a lot of them are based on uh, recognized warning signs for problematic use. But I use the device of the parody video game to make it kind of wild and funny. And these challenges ask kids to see if any of the warning signs for problematic use apply to them. And nobody's watching, no one will know their answers except the teen, him or herself. So I'm really encouraging them to be self-aware and honest. So warning signs would be one of the challenges. Then I ask kids to examine how much time they spend on different apps and platforms. And I do that in two ways. First, I ask them to list them and make their best guesses. And then I encourage them to use screen time trackers to get actual counts of how much time they spend. And usually there's a big gap there. They spend more time than they think they do. And then I I want them to consider how different apps make them feel. You know, some apps may be toxic for kids. I mean, social media, for example, and we can get into that if you wish at some point. But um, for many teens, the time they spend is somewhat addictive. It's a compulsion almost. The the fear of missing out, the barrage of notifications. I mean, and I'm not holier than that. I think in the book, I am self-deprecating. And I say, if I have my notifications on and I hear the ping, no matter what I'm doing, I look for the notification. So there are a lot of tricks and tips we get into later in the book. I ask kids to figure out what their triggers are and what their phone habits are. Do they sleep with their phone on? When they're feeling bored, do they turn to their phone? And identifying these uh, triggers and habits will be key for later in the book when there's a guided self-intervention kids can take to reset their digital lives.
0: It's not preachy you're getting them curious about themselves and their uses of the digital stuff, their screen scene,
1: as you would put it. Exactly.
0: What happens to an adolescent's brain when they spend too much time on screens and in particular on social media?
1: Essentially, teens' brains are being assaulted with stimuli when they're online. And without getting too deep into the neurochemistry... Uh, especially because I'm not a neurochemist. But essentially what's happening is the prefrontal cortex of the brain in teens goes through a big growth spurt during adolescence. And this is the center for the higher cognitive function, you know, rational thought and logical thinking, making good decisions and regulating emotions and being able to solve problems. And if anything interferes with that development during those years, it could have long-term consequences. And what phones do is they assault the brain. And your brain doesn't know whether a notification or a a song or a text or a TikTok video, your brain doesn't know what those are. It simply treats them as potential threats. And that means the barrage of stimulation from your phone and all the platforms you're switching from you know, one second to the next, that barrage is taken by your brain as an assault, as a threat, and it bulks up the more primitive fight-or-flight regions of your brain. If you think of going to the movies and a thrilling car chase, on some level, you know it's make-believe, but your brain doesn't. And that's why when the chase is over, your brain and your body is in this huge state of nervous excitement and, and arousal, and... If you're often in that state, that can lead to chronic stress. So we need to think of the forces impacting on the brain to understand how this can affect kids. And if it is extreme, it impacts the development of the prefrontal cortex. The same way if physically you were exercising certain muscles and other muscles just weakened because you weren't using them, this would affect the development of your physical body.
0: That's absolutely true. And I think that's why sometimes when moms go in the room to talk to their kids who are on their phones or watching something that they get really angry with them, they're in that fight-flight place, they're reacting. So that makes sense to me. Right. So is big tech the... An ambiguous enemy in this? Is it possible that they could become part of the solution to the problem that they
1: helped engineer? Well, <laughs> first I just want to say I'm not anti-tech. I love my computer, my screens being online. I can't imagine my life without it. And I make that clear to teens in the book. So I'm not some grouchy anti-tech person, but I think expecting big tech to address the problem would be like expecting the alcohol industry to address the problem of abusive drinking. They may pay lip service to it or or make some donations, you know, but deep down their business models are based on engagement, on use, more use equals more profit. So these big tech doesn't want uh, its users to cut their time online in half or to decide, oh, this app is too toxic for me. I'm not going to spend my time on it. So no, I really don't think uh, big tech is where we, we would find solutions. So, in
0: Chapter 7, it's titled Protect Your Privacy, Safety, and Reputation How Big Tech Steals Your Data and Puts You at Risk. So, what sort of things do you talk to the teens about in that chapter?
1: Well, I begin by asking teens to picture an imaginary scenario. What if in their own bedroom, people came in and went through their clothes, their books, their pockets, their wallet, their journal, their calendar, listened to their music, read their journals and, and papers and school assignments? Um, what if they were simply spied on everything they did, where they looked, how they spent their time? And then when they leave their bedroom, what if they were bugged and followed and their location was known and people went in their room while they were away? And, you know, I depict this in a place that teens can relate to. And then I say, well, that's exactly what's going on with big tech and surveillance. And, you know, teens know you don't really have privacy. And teens know, for the most part, yeah, they're being tracked. But I don't believe they know, and certainly I don't think most adults know, the extent of the surveillance and the manipulation and the data collecting and the monetizing of a teen's lived experience. And it's only going to get worse as they get older, because once you start driving and you have your own credit cards and bank accounts and your digital trail becomes larger and broader, the points of surveillance are going to be uh, even greater.
0: Yeah. I mean, you just talking about that has me alarmed you just made that really, really real. So in chapter nine, you have protect your life balance, how big tech hijacks your attention, your autonomy, and your time. Can you talk about what that chapter is about?
1: Yes. The business model of big tech is based on getting your eyeballs. They want to engage your time. They want to manipulate it, to control it. And it's not going too far to say that in many cases, certain video games, platforms, apps are actually using your brain chemistry and human nature to try to addict you to the site. The more time you spend there, the more profit they're going to make. And one of the ways this occurs is by their algorithms focusing on the types of things that are most likely to get your, intent, uh, your attention, to keep you engaged. And those tend to be, research has shown that those tend to be the things that arouse rage and negative emotions. Mm. That's why false news stories, conspiracy theories misinformation, that's why those are spreading so far and so wide. That type of information spreads six times faster online than truthful information. So these algorithms are not truth driven, they're profit driven. So if that means spreading false news and polarizing conspiracy theories, and things that'll get you angry, if that's what's going to do it, that is what they're going to be putting in your feeds and in the recommendations. So I think that's a core issue for understanding why big tech and the, the things they recommend to you on YouTube or the things you see in your Facebook feed, those are designed to Get you emotionally aroused and engaged.
0: Yeah, that's alarming. So have you found that helping teens understand big tech, is that a motivator for them to
1: change their screen scene? I'll know a lot more after this book comes out. But (laughs) so far, my experience is if you approach them so that you're not making them defensive about the world they live in, Yes. Teens want to live healthy lives. And I think they recognize within themselves some of those statistics we were talking about earlier. They recognize how their life can become imbalanced. So if you give them the information and the tools and you do it in a humorous, non-judgmental way, I do think they will take the lead. Teens don't want to feel manipulated, talked down to. So I think they're ready for this type of self-awareness and self-intervention.
0: I would think that teens would definitely respond. You're engaging them in resistance, which is a thing that teenagers like. They like to resist. So I think that's a good approach. So how do you differentiate between good screen time and bad?
1: That's a great question. We adults tend to focus on how much time kids are spending on their screens. And that's important. You know, if you do anything for, say, nine hours a day, which is the average amount of time teens are spending, it's going to affect you, even if what you're doing is uh, noble or healthy or... uh, contributing to your growth and, uh, you know, the goodness in the world, you're still experiencing the world through a screen for nine hours a day, which means you're not doing other things uh, offline. So I think what's important for teens to do and for parents to realize is that there are different types of screen time. So I asked teens to assess, you know, are they when they're online, are they creating, or are they vegetating? You know, are they being a passive recipient of stimuli and others' people, other people's creations, or you know, streaming uh, videos, or are they being active and are they, you know, really going deep into their own? Mind and feelings and passion. So it's important to assess those types of things. I also ask them whether they're doing things in balance. You know, their time online is a bit of entertainment, some homework, communicating with friends, uh, composing music, editing a video they've made, um, or are they spending eight hours a day, you know, playing video games and killing space invaders and, you know, neglecting other things, either online or offline. So when you go through these types of of questions about your time online, uh, you get a much better sense of whether it is contributing to your growth, especially your offline growth, or is it inhibiting it in certain ways? I love
0: the distinction between creating versus vegetating. That's great. So what's the most impactful thing you would tell a teenager who is getting up by the digital world? And often you talk about the dark side. So can you talk more about that?
1: Yes. The dark side. And in the book we had fun with the font for it to make it kind of ooh, chilling, horror, the dark side. Yeah, I like that. Um, so there's a, it's real, it is dark, but we want to add a little levity and tongue-in-cheek to it. I think what's important to tell teens, and this is something I would hope parents would internalize, and, you know, parents need to be talking about these issues all the time with their kids, not in a preaching or accusatory way, but to understand their kids' screen scene and to let their kids teach them something. But I think it's very important to get across the idea of mindfulness to teens. Lead an examined life. You know, Socrates said, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. And I kind of feel the same way, you know, the unexamined Wi-Fi is not worth living. So if, if you think about this, these digital native teens, they never made choices about their digital use. You know, from maybe age three months, they were in front of FaceTime waving at grandparents. And step by step, it just continued, and they eventually got more independent and autonomous online, but it just became part of their being. And there was never a conscious choice of what they want to do or how much time or whether these things are good or harmful for them. So mindfulness is a really important place to start. Uh, when talking to kids about this. Another idea is that you should seek a healthy balance. So when you're examining your life, look and see if certain areas of your life are atrophying. Have you withdrawn Mm. from activities? Are you isolating? Are you uncomfortable socially because you're not practicing social skills with people? You know, adolescence is the developmental time when you are uncomfortable about other people and building relationships. And if you can sidestep that by doing it through your device, you're not going to develop the skills. And a shocking statistic, uh, this was a survey right before the pandemic, is that the number one preferred method for teens to communicate with their friends is texting. Now, maybe that'll change post-pandemic when they realize how horrible it was not to see friends in person. But I found that statistic quite shocking. Right, Um, it is. So, and you know, kids need to also understand that their online trail is their brand Mm. and they need to curate it or to use brand sanitizer, as I say in the book.
0: Yeah, that's great. So the internet was designed by adults for adults and yet kids and teens use it constantly. Are there changes that can realistically be made to make it a healthier place for young people beyond parental controls,
1: which don't typically work well for teens? This is going to be an uphill struggle. And this is why I say to teens, you have to take charge because an individual teen can't control the digital world. They can only control their personal relationship to it. So, yes, uh, I think... Big tech needs to turn off all their surveillance, their data collection. They can change it so you have to opt in to do it, you know, if they want to do it. But the default should be that you are not, that you're opted out. Currently, it is impossible, pretty much, to opt out of anything because you go to one site and you're cookied up, they may have 600, 700 partners who are now also following what you do. And if you want to opt out, you may have to go to every single one of those 600 partner sites to do it. It's designed to make it impossible. Wow. So I think regulation is certainly uh, an, important, an important way of, of dealing with this. And I think schools need to uh, be very aware of what their digital policies are. Some of the free platforms some schools may use are following kids. Mm. Uh, So we just need to be much more hyper-conscious of the impact all this is making on not only individual teenagers, but on our, our culture. Our, our national harmony, our democracy on truth and reality and civil discourse. You can draw direct lines between the business models of big tech and social media and what's happening in our country these days. Right. Yeah. Ooh. It does get a little dark at times, you know, when talking about these things. Yes. And I try to lighten it up for teens. But teens care about these issues. They care about democracy and voting rights and systemic racism and climate change. So I think we do them a disservice to think, oh, all they're interested in is... Snapchat and TikTok videos. And I think if you make those connections, teens will make more enlightened decisions.
0: I agree. So more on the upside here. So in chapter 11, which I thought this is very clever, you said, give yourself an appendectomy. So can you tell moms what that is? And kind of how you guide the teens to have their appendectomy in that chapter?
1: Yes, an (laughs) appendectomy is a self-guided intervention teens can make to reset their digital lives. And it's based on, you know, there's sort of a process through the book where beginning with the reflect section, you learn all about your screen scene. And then in the middle resist section, you learn all about the specific ways big tech may be harming your, your growth across many different domains, body, brain, psyche relationships. And then in this final section, reset, you learn all about giving yourself an app appendectomy. And it's really a process that allows the team to create a plan. Because once you have a plan, you're much more likely to follow through. So I ask teams to uh, go back and examine the intelligence they've collected about their screen scene. And then to choose just one goal. That's so that they don't get overwhelmed if there's tons of things they realize they wanna do something about, just one goal. And I lead them through a process where they identify the goal. They understand through questions I ask and they fill out in a template and all the templates will be downloadable from the publisher's website. They understand why they've chosen that goal. And then I ask them to create a support team, you know, their support squad, people who will be there to support them either emotionally or practically. I mean, let's say they want to give up a certain app for a day, a week, a month, forever. They may need practical and emotional help to accomplish that. And then there are questions that guide them to create the actual plan they're going to make, the timing of it, the steps they're going to need to take, maybe there are people they need to alert, and then to select the tools that can help them. So a tool might be turning off notifications, or a tool might be, moving certain apps off of their home screen. You know, there are many, many tools to help them stay serene, stay motivated. Uh, The appendectomy asks them to identify their risks, their triggers, the temptations they think they might find. So then they can plan alternative activities. They can know what countermeasures they want to use. Uh, They will uh, create rewards for themselves because this is going to be, it may be very challenging and difficult. So of course they should create incentives and then identify how they're going to monitor their progress. What types of uh, measures will they use to know how they're doing? And there's even a troubleshooting section that lists a lot of possible things that might uh, go wrong or, you know, get in the way of, of their their progress and how they can uh, address those things. So it's a fun chapter. And I think the key is to just start narrow, defined with one goal. And once they accomplish that one goal, they can then come back and do a second goal. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And you have a lot of great forms in the book. I don't know how many, but you have a ton. So they're very useful that teens can actually fill out. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering, is this book something that you see parents and teens doing together? Like almost like parents could be doing some of the same stuff. Like parents could be doing their own app appendectomies.
1: Absolutely. An entire family could do a family appendectomy. Um, I mean, I think a secret is that a lot of adults will enjoy the book and learn a lot about their own screen scene. Because I'm not in denial that many of their parents may be equally (laughs) addicted and influenced by big tech and do a lot of things online that they'd rather not be doing. So it's a way, if parents just wanna have a bit more fun with the process of intervening on their own use, the book certainly works for them. I think a wonderful approach would be if a teen did his or her own individual appendectomy while a parent did one. And then they could offer mutual support and how, how'd you do today? And, Oh, great mom. And, you know, I think that would be a lovely dynamic to have in the house.
0: Yes. It's because what we're doing they're watching. So we can say, get off your phones while we're on our phone. That's not going to be very credible. So, We have to be the models also. So uh, last question is your advice in the book is is totally realistic. I mean, you don't advocate like teens not ever being on their phones or on their social media accounts. But how can a teen and or their parents know when they have a healthy online-offline balance?
1: This really has everything to do with what we were talking about good screen time versus bad screen time. So I think first you just have to look at the nature of the screen time itself to, to see, is that healthy? And once you've determined hopefully that it is healthy or you're gonna take certain steps to make it healthy, then you look at the offline side of your life. And that's where you know some of the warning signs I talk about in the book come in. Um, are you connecting with people face-to-face? You know, is your school life rewarding? Are you having problems with homework or teachers? Are you in conflict with adults in your life or do you have nice relationships with them? Um, do you have any uh, physical consequences from spending a lot of time online. You know, maybe your time online is great, but if it's giving you aches and pains and tech neck, um, if it's straining your eyes, if it's interfering with your sleep, and disturbed sleep is a huge problem for teens, then those are all indications that your offline life is, is being imbalanced. And how you feel offline is another good indicator. I mean, when you're offline, are you enjoying what you're doing? Or is all you can think about getting back online? You know, have you withdrawn from offline activities? You know, sports, extracurricular events, things you used to like to do. Are you still seeing lots of friends? Um, So that's all kind of stuff to put in the hopper when thinking about it. One thing we've realized is that teens today, and this is not their fault, it's just a natural consequence of the time being spent on digital devices, teens today are less independent than teens of a generation ago. I guess you could say they're growing up more slowly. I mean, they are less likely to have a paid job, to volunteer, to participate in extracurricular events. They're less likely to get a driver's license, to go to parties. And, you know, some of that's okay. But as a totality, it seems their social skills aren't as developed They don't go out and do things by themselves as much as previous generations of teens. So it makes me wonder whether their practical skills and street smarts for being offline are developing as well as they should. So all of those things need to be considered when trying to assess, you know, your online offline balance. Right. This is
0: so good. What I've seen during the pandemic, because I see a lot of teens and college kids and parents, is that the teens that are, I would say, from midline between introvert, extrovert, on down to introverted, are some of the teens that are the most vulnerable to this, to using the screen scene is more like vegetating, because you implied this, it's, it would get them out of their comfort zone to call a real person or get with a real person and do some of the things. It takes some risks. And as we know, that's exactly what the brain needs to use it and not lose it. I know one person I talked to on my podcast would have, and I, and I think you do the same thing in your book, is really helping the teens make a list of 100 things they could do offline. It's like crazy to people our age, like that we'd have to do that, but a lot of them don't even see the advantage until they experience it. So we, I think as parents kind of have to push them out to go to like a a camp and be outside and run around and see, they'll, they'll experience the energy of being with relationships one-on-one and face-to-face versus the numbness of a lot of the digital stuff.
1: I agree completely with you. I have a section in the book called Boredom is Beautiful. And one of the casualties of being on a device for so much time is teens turn to the device the second they're bored. And we see this in you know, sur- surveys of teens and college students, the vast majority say, Oh, I use my phone just to pass time, or I turn to my phone when I'm bored. And one of the greatest things a teen ever said to me was, If you don't daydream, you won't get anywhere in life. And yes. I've always loved that because yes. teens need boredom time because that's when. I mean, boredom is like a fertilizer for creativity. Absolutely. for going inside yourself and thinking of things to do and trying new things. So I think that's another casualty of too much time on screens or the wrong kind of time on screens. And one other point I think it's important to make is that social media can have a very damaging effect on a teen's self-image. Yes. Because in many ways, it creates a false reality. And if you're on social media a lot, your friends are posting constantly and selfies. And it's, it's almost as though instead of using posts to share their life, posting becomes their life. And teens will take 100 selfies just to get the perfect one. And then they'll Photoshop it. And it can create this perception that everyone's life is magnificent and better than yours. And if you are, as you were mentioning earlier, maybe a teen who's a bit lonelier or has lower self-esteem, you're going to internalize that and you're going to get into self defeating thoughts and negative thinking. Uh, so that's something also I spend a lot of time talking about in the book, so that if teens have fallen prey to that, they can recognize uh, the warning signs and, and do something about it.
0: Absolutely. I talk about, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is really good. So I love at the end of your book, you have a My Resistance Manifesto, and if that's okay with you, I'd like to read it.
1: Absolutely. This manifesto was created, let's say, by what I call the texting kid throughout the book. And the texting kid is constantly interrupting the book with snarky comments and questions as a, and is meant to stand in for readers and maybe uh, comments, questions, defenses they might have. So at the end of the book, this texting kid, having learned everything, puts together this manifesto, which is contributed.
0: This book is clever and informative and fun to read. So parents, you're going to want to get it when it comes out in October. All right, so I'm going to read it. So it's My Resistance Manifesto. I will join the resistance against big tech by taking charge of my screen scene. I will lead an empowered, examined life, always thinking for myself. I will reflect on my digital life, resist any negative forces, and reset my life balance. If anything gets out of whack doodle bet you like that one. I will use my screen time to do good things for myself and others. I will maintain a healthy balance between my online and offline lives. I will protect my body, brain, privacy, reputation, schoolwork, sleep, and psyche from big tech meanies. I will resist the shallow, nasty, and judgmental aspects of social media. I will resist negative thinking. I will, without being a super, supercilious. Supercilious. <laughs> okay. Okay, gotcha. Supercilious jerk about it. Try to create more than I consume. Like that word? Supercilious? <laughs> yes, I do. I will stay away from platforms that make me feel bad. I will post to share my life and not let posting become my life. I will be an offline adventurer and look for opportunities to swash my buckle. I will use my time on screens to benefit my relationships, personal growth and future options. I will be alert to the lies, misinformation and biases found online. I will listen to my gut and watch out for warning signs. I will use the reset plan as a tool to improve my screen scene or other areas of my life. I will pause before acting to think about the consequences of anything I do online. I will respect other people's privacy and feelings and not use my phone to hurt or embarrass them. I will leave a digital trail of flowers, not turds. That's for you. I will always remember that the most powerful app is my brain.
1: I think it really sums up what I hope teens will get from the book.
0: Yes. So how can moms contact you? Uh,
1: So they could contact the publisher, Free Spirit Publishing, uh, and, of course, on the the online websites for the book. And uh, I can be contacted through my website of alexjpacker.com.
0: Okay, great. And I'll put that in the show notes. So, Alex, this has been wonderful, such great information. And as a fellow book writer, I want to thank you for all your hard work to put this book together.
1: Thank you, Colleen. It's really been fun to be with you.
0: This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting, Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it. If you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review, This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning, best-selling books, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold, and you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, and that has two L's and two E's.